Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Noah Hammond Terrell, thank you so much for being on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. This is going to be great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Diane. Yeah, we have so many commonalities that we may or may not get into, and maybe the audience won't care, but I care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's let's jump into the pot here with CBD, shall we? Absolutely. What is the impetus that got you into CBD? Well, it was a pretty uh, startling experience where my dad was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. He had a tumor on his liver about the size of a mini football, and he was given three months to live by the doctors. So at the time I was living in LA and my dad is down in San Diego and I got the phone call that no one wants to get. Hey, your dad's super sick. Get down here. He's in the hospital. And, you know, I get there and I see him up on the table and he's gray and just looks terrible. Like I can tell he's on his deathbed and the doctors give the diagnosis and sort of a lot of the family was like, okay, well, if it's dad's time to go, then, you know, we got to let him go and let him feel good about that. And, and, I was like, yeah, right. Because I, <laughs> because I had already done uh, training with holistic healers who've healed thousands of stage four cancers. You know, they, they're people who I won't name because people who heal cancer tend to come up missing, but, right. um, <laughs> but, you know, I've been a spiritual business and life coach for a number of years since 2008. And so I've been on this rabbit hole of constant self-discovery and constantly seeking out holistic healing modalities and self-healing practices and all these things. So I already knew like, well, we can at least give it a shot. Right. So I went home that night and I said, well, what's the path forward? Because my dad's He's kind of a stubborn dude from Queens, New York. You know, he's not going to go on a raw vegan diet. He's not going to like go on the Gerson method or anything. So I said, what, what's the 80, 20 here. And the two things we came up with was uh, a juicing protocol. Um, my wife had healed herself from Epstein-Barr syndrome using juicing. I've, I already knew that juicing was a powerful healing modality. And we specifically focused on beets and carrots because it was for his liver. Um, and those are both really good for cleansing the liver. Uh, and then the other thing was a hemp oil protocol which is kind of repopularized uh, in the modern mimetic by a guy named Rick Simpson. So a lot of people call it the Rick Simpson protocol or Rick Simpson oil, but it's essentially a hemp oil protocol using both THC and CBD. And uh, we went to work. I literally bailed out of my apartment in LA and downsized and just got a little spot in San Diego, started buying beets by the case from the grocery store, like literally having the grocer go in the back and come out with a whole box and my wife came and she was super supportive and we were just chopping and juicing and delivering, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 ounces of fresh juice a day to his house. And, uh, we found an oil maker who had been doing this for people for 20 years, making oil protocols for people and helping people heal. And so, uh, you know, long story short, six weeks into the protocol, he gets his next MRI, his next level of blood work. And the tumor had shrunk by over 30%. Oh my God. Yeah. Was he eating anything or was it just pure? Like, was he, what was he having for f- solid food? So 
he didn't change his diet that much. Uh, what I will mention is that we did one round of a, a new type of chemo called chemo ablation, which is supposed to be like very direct. And I think the biggest benefit that it gave actually, although like a chemical kickstart never hurt nothing, especially when you're as far gone as my dad was, what I think the biggest benefit of was, was that it made him so nauseous and sick yeah. that he barely ate for like two weeks afterwards. Like, and you know, fasting is a healing modality and fasting helps the body to put its energy towards healing. And it also resets the taste buds. So naturally when he came out of that, he was eating lighter than he had been prior to it. And, but he wasn't on any kind of diet. He wasn't on uh, all no meat or vegan this or any of that. He just sort of was naturally eating a little bit more intuitively because of the fast he had just been under from the one round of chemo ablation. So, but you know, it was mainly juicing, it was salads, it was eggs, it was just like light fare, you know, but he was still eating chicken and steak and just, you know, he was kind of eating his typical diet, just a little bit lighter and a little bit cleaner for sure than prior. What was the level of THC, THC CBD that you were giving him daily? So CBD is non-psychoactive, doesn't get you high. So we were able to start with a high dose of that right away. Um, but THC, because it is psychoactive and it does give you high, um, we had to ramp it up over time. So okay. we started with probably like 50 or 75 milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of THC three times a day. Right. And then after a week or so, it was, you know, 10 milligrams of THC three times a day. And then after a week or so, it was 15 milligrams of THC three times a day. And we got all the way up to the point where over the course of his whole treatment, at the height of it, uh, we were probably doing uh, 200 milligrams of CBD and 35 milligrams of THC three times a day. So he yeah. was consuming over hundred milligrams of THC per day um, and probably five or 600 milligrams of CBD per day by the height of it. And then once the cancer was completely gone, uh, which happened at about the four month mark, uh, that was the point where literally there was not even any dying tumor tissue left. There was no tumor tissue to be found. There was no tumor markers in his blood. He was completely cancer-free by every test that the Western medical establishment could give. That was at four months. And so then we started really ramping back and he's basically just been on a maintenance dose ever since every day or every couple of days before bed, he'll take, you know, 20 milligrams of THC and uh, maybe a hundred milligrams of CBD. And he's been cancer-free now for four plus years. And, you know, after the tumor went away, they kept doing blood work and MRIs every three months, cancer-free, cancer-free, cancer-free. Now it's every six months because he did that for years, every three months. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, definitely a, a, an amazing outcome. I cannot neglect to also mention that we had a lot of prayer going on. Mm -hmm. We had multiple spiritual communities holding him in, in prayer family holding him in prayer. And we can't neglect the fact that we are all connected and that we impact the collective with our intentions like that. So, 100%. you know, I don't want to not mention that. No, I, I so love that. What studies are you aware of, Noah, that show that these compounds actually shrink tumors at like a high rate? Well, I haven't looked for studies uh, specifically on them shrinking tumors, but I can give you the anecdotal evidence of my father and the anecdotal evidence of the oil maker who's been doing this for 20 years, who helped my father, mm -hmm. who said, you know, basically 
if you're talking about a tumor or you're talking about an aggressive active cancer, you can't just do CBD. In that case, you want THC. He said that THC is like, it hunts cancer down and attacks it. Whereas CBD is sort of whole body anti-inflammatory. So it's whole body anti-cancer. It helps the whole body harmonize and work better. But if you have an active cancer, you definitely want to include THC in your hemp oil protocol. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be uh, nearly as effective, I don't think, uh, without THC. Uh, so okay. there are more studies coming out uh, as prohibition is being lessened, as more studies are being allowed. The, the most leading edge studies are actually coming out of Israel because they've sort of acknowledged the healing properties of this plant sooner than other governments of the world and have been doing more clinical trials. So, but on, you know, there's new studies literally coming out every day. Every day I get an email from these newsletters and these Google alerts that I have where it's like study show, blah, 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 for Alzheimer's study show, yada, yada, for seizures, for cancer, for autism, for, you know, even recently in this uh, COVID pandemic that everyone had to go through uh, the cytokine storms that everyone was saying is like the reason why you really get messed up. There were studies that showed that CBD and, and cannabinoids uh, could calm the effects of that and prevent the body from going to such a hyper reactive mode. Yeah. So there's new science coming out about this stuff constantly. And yeah. you only need to go to the Googles to really start looking at it. True, true that. Most people listening will be aware of the endocannabinoid system, but there are those listening that have no clue what the heck that is and that it even exists. And I believe there was a guy, I think he's from Israel, who broke this whole thing down or discovered that we do have this innate endocannabinoid system. And, and to add to that, apparently our ancestors, because our soils used to be so rich before the whole industrial revolution and all these toxic chemicals that are just sucking stuff out of the soil or depleting it. It was so pervasive in the environment that we actually were breathing it in, in the particles in the air that wow. we, our endocannabinoid system was like, you know, it was, it was running. Mm -hmm. And now we're apparently so depleted because of a myriad of things, but you know, the toxicity of the soil, the air, the water, whatever, our, our food source. And so this one doctor who is, is uh, uh, escaping my memory at the moment, but he talks about how we have this innate endocannabinoid system and it's, it's, it's yearning to be put back online. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, well, first off, I haven't heard the, the breathing it in thing, but I a hundred percent believe that because when you're in like an old growth forest and it's, it's you know, moist and, you know, like for example, in like Northern Oregon, or you're in the redwoods or something and you take a breath in, like you feel nourished by that breath. Right. And, and in a whole different way than if you're like walking down the street in Manhattan, right. It's, right. it's, it's undeniable that there's something about um, the microbes and about these you know, these, the pheromones and whatever other compounds you call out that are released by nature, right? Nature is our healer, right? The only reason we're so sick as a society is because we've gotten so far away from nature, right? I mean, you would never be vitamin D deficient living the way we used to live hundreds of years ago, um, or in a tribal setting, or, you know, you'd never go a whole day without putting your feet on the ground in the way we used to live, right? And, 
And there's even, it's proven that there's antidepressant compounds in soil. And like, so for people who deal with anxiety and depression, they're like, go, go garden, go put your hands in the soil, go get that soil in your face and, and breathe it in and, and, and be close to it. And it literally will, will help to relieve your depression. So totally believe in that, even though that's the first time I've heard that. Um, but yeah, the endocannabinoid system was discovered in like the early nineties. And I'm also, I should know this guy's name, but I'm forgetting it right now too. <laughs> but the reason why he discovered it was because he was using cannabis and the phytocannabinoids. So there's two kinds of cannabinoids, right? Phytocannabinoids come from plants. Endocannabinoids come from our own body. We produce them too. Right. This is so natural that there's endocannabinoids passed from mother to baby in the breast milk. Right. So the cannabinoids, the ECS or the endocannabinoid system was discovered in the early 90s by a man who was using phytocannabinoids. And that's since the compounds are so similar, it was like what tipped them off and helped them to understand, like, oh, look at these compounds in our body and look at these receptor sites for them. They were able to find them because of using cannabis or hemp mm. um, and the phytocannabinoids. Uh, but basically these receptors are in every part of our body. They're in every organ. They're in our blood. They're in our bones. They're in our immune system. They're in everywhere. And what they do is they regulate the harmony of the functioning of the different body systems. And so when this ECS is, doesn't have enough cannabinoids, harmony or disharmony or disease is the result. Right. And that's why people hear about so many different things from, oh, it helps me sleep better to, oh, it gets rid of my pain to, oh, it, it helps my, uh, my weight or my blood sugar, or, oh, it's helping me with my, you know, with my mental functioning and processing my focus, my productivity, or even it's relieving symptoms of early onset dementia and neurodegenerative disorders. A woman who interviewed me just a few weeks ago, completely healed her Crohn's disease. That was that literally had her bedridden with this. And so people go like, how is this thing such a miracle? And what I like to say is that the miracle is you, right? Mm -hmm. Like Coop, Black, Coop Blackson says, right? The miracle is you. It's, it's your endocannabinoid system. We're just giving it what it needs with these phytocannabinoids for it to prosper, right? And I'll say one thing that's a kind of a misunderstanding. People think that when you take CBD or THC or other cannabinoids, right? Because that's what THC, CBD it, are. They're cannabinoids. There's over 114 different ones in the hemp plant. Um, when you take these cannabinoids, people think, oh, it's like it goes and it binds to those receptor sites and it gives the system what it needs. It's a little different, actually. It's more of a, a reuptake inhibitor, like an SSRI helps your brain to not reuptake the serotonin. So you have more serotonin. Uh, it's the same thing. When you put phytocannabinoids in your body, it kind of soothes the system and their presence helps you to not reuptake or digest your own endocannabinoids. So you, you have more of them and it, then your body functions better. So uh, the reason why people are hearing about CBD for so many different things is because it's really just about, okay, when the system starts to fail for you individually, where's your weakest link? Is it going to hurt you know, are you going to have pain and sciatic show up? Are you going to have arthritis show up? Are you going to have mental issues show up? Are you going to have gut issues show up? It's sort of individualized. Um, but when we just kick back on our ECS by giving it what it needs, then your body heals itself. And that's truly, you know, to go back to my dad's story, like, yeah, um, we gave him plant medicines and we gave him uh, plant-based nutrition 
but ultimately his body heals itself, mm-hmm. right? Like we give it the, the nutrition and it goes, okay, I can use this to rebuild my liver and do what I need to do. Right. And that's why we gave him the juicing. I said, give him the fundamental building blocks, both literally and vibrationally, right? Cause there's prana and there's energy and there's our energy body and, and all of that as well. So in the juicing, he wasn't just getting, he was getting the micronutrition and he was getting the identifiable compounds his body could use to make the raw materials of new liver tissue. And he was getting the pranic support of literally just higher vibrational food than, you know, my dad has never been a juicer. So <laughs> there's right. a lot of prana too. Yeah. His body's like, whoa, hello, I'm waking up. Exactly. There's three types of CBD. There's full, broad, and isolates, right? Full spectrum, broad spectrum. Yeah. What's the difference? Why do we care? So I would say the reason to care is because isolates, although they seem attractive to people because it's like, oh, there's zero THC in there. And so that's good because I don't want to get high, blah, blah, blah. I think isolates are largely ineffective. And so isolate is literally just when they isolate CBD period, right? There's nothing in here, but that, um, and broad spectrum is a larger harvesting of the plant where full spectrum is just everything present at the time of harvest. Right. And I, all of our products are, are full spectrum because in, in my findings and in, in my, both my research and my experience of my clients and with myself is that they're more medicinal, they're more effective. It's like getting your vitamin C from a vitamin C capsule versus getting it from an orange, Got it. right? The orange is more bioavailable, more absorbable. It's got complementary compounds in it that help you to get your vitamin C. It's like getting your vitamin D from a capsule, although that's great. And I do that too, or from the sun. There's a lot more that you're getting from the sun that complements the vitamin D. There's a whole spectrum of different things that you're getting from the sun. It's obviously a better source and it's more natural and better for you. You know, you bring up a good point because a lot of these companies will grow their, their plants in a greenhouse and mm-hmm. you're getting what blue light, you're getting light that is, that is artificial sunlight. You are not getting true photosynthesis and you're not getting that pranic energy, that real natural known pranic energy that we all need that heals that comes directly from the sun. Yeah. So it just makes me think about that. It's like, how do you know where your stuff was grown? Because it could potentially be effective or not effective. Yeah. We work with multiple farms and they're all outdoor grown. And I, I didn't actually do that on purpose, but I'm glad that that's what's, what's true. Like thinking about it. Absolutely. Like there is a difference between something grown indoor and, and under artificial lighting than something grown outdoor in the sun. It's undeniable from an energetic standpoint, from a prana and, 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 and an effectiveness standpoint. Yes. <laughs> What's the difference between CBN, CBG, CBDG? I mean, there's so many different derivatives. What's the, what's that about? Explain that. So all of those are different cannabinoids. And the reason why you're just starting to hear about some of those other things is because they are less bioavailable in the hemp plant, right? So depending on the strain, uh, it's... But across the board, you're going to find THC and CBD in the highest concentrations. Now, for something to be classified as hemp, and people often go like, what's the difference between cannabis and hemp and marijuana, right? So cannabis is 
they classify cannabis as if it has more than 0.3% THC by volume, then it's cannabis. If it has 0.3% or less by volume, it's hemp. It's the same plant. Okay. Okay. It's just about the concentration of THC. And then what's marijuana? Marijuana is slang for cannabis. It's, it's not anything different. Right. So, um, so, and, and the reason I bring that up is because the first two cannabinoids that science was able to isolate effectively was THC and CBD, right? Especially with all the crossbreeding and, and, you know, if you go back to our parents, ganja, right? In the seventies, it was like one to 3% THC, right? Now they have strains that are 35%, 36%. I think they're topping out at like 39% is like the most they can figure out how to make the plant <laughs> produce, right? By crossbreeding and selective breeding. Um, so that's a lot though, right? You're talking about more than a third of the plant being pure THC. Uh, so it's very bioavailable. And then same thing is, is true. They're, they're crossbreeding plants to increase CBD uh, accessibility and bioavailability. And, and, and I don't think they're getting up to the same levels as THC, but they're getting up there. Um, either way, they were the most easy to find and access. Now, as the science of this uh, distillation process gets better and better, they're starting to be able to actually affordably and replicate it and reproducibly access these other compounds, these other cannabinoids that are less bioavailable, right? So that's where you start to hear about the CBG and the CBN and the CBDA and the, the Delta-8 and all these different things. They're all just cannabinoids, right? The, the hemp plant has over 114 of them, right? So they still there's still you know, 85 of them that they don't really have the science and the process locked in on it. Like if we wanted this cannabinoid in, in volume, how could we access it and how could we produce products from it? But as these other products are coming out, um, for example, CBN is shown to be really good for sleep, right? So our, our, our CB, uh, our sleep product that we're developing right now, it's not only going to have CBD, which is also great for sleep. It's going to have a touch of CBN in it too, because it's augmenting it. Right. And so there's this whole cannabinoid science and it's just like this huge rabbit hole. The reason why CBD is so popular, not only is it bioavailable and easy science to be able to get it first. Uh, it's also out of all the, if you had a chart of you know, 40 different positive effects that a cannabinoid can produce in your body, CBD does like 36 of them well. Right. And these other compounds, they're just starting to say like, okay, for sleep specifically, CBN is really doing good there. Right. And so they're starting to, to isolate specific other cannabinoids for specific other purposes. And CBD is this awesome cannabinoid that sort of does it all. And that's why, you know, I'll, we'll always be a CBD focused company and we'll use other cannabinoids to, to augment, right. CBG, which is sort of like the, uh, the root cannabinoid it's like the stem cell, so to speak. Uh, it's shown to be really good for healing body pain, right? So we're going to have uh, CBG in our body pain cream in the future. You mm. know, right now it's got a ton of CBD in it and it does the job, but we can make it even better as the science continues to isolate these compounds, as they start to become more and more affordable for mass production and putting into products, right? Because who wants to buy like a $350, you know, pain cream? But right. you can now actually get affordable amounts of CBG, CBN, some of these other cannabinoids into your products. So it's going to keep changing every year. You're going to hear about more of them. 
Fascinating. What's the deal with nano CBD? Some people say, oh, is it nano? It's got to be nano. It gets into the body better. Is that true? Or is that a fallacy? What's the deal with that? So there are, there are compounds and ways that you can uh, absorb things better into the body. It's definitely true. Um, whether or not it's going to produce a massively different effect that I have not really seen uh, so much, right? Like all of our CBD products, they come in MCT oil. It's highly absorbable by the body and it's a great absorption medium. Now the nano thing, it's sort of gimmicky. It's sort of like, oh, okay. But there are compounds my oil maker has showed me where they, they just instantly cross barriers in the body that would take more time for something like MCT oil, right? So but I've tried them and I haven't specifically been like, oh my God, this is drastically, dramatically different in effect. Mm. Uh, so it, it's still, it's still out for verdict, I think. And, and we'll explore it more in the future. Right now we, we keep our product line very simple. We have soft gels, we have a topical balm, we have a tincture, right? And we're going to expand our product line a little bit further in the near future, but I'm really all about just let's simply get people taking some CBD right? Like the woman who healed her Crohn's disease, who interviewed me a few weeks back, she wasn't taking any nano special, this CBG and is any, she could took a hundred milligrams of CBD a day, you know, through an oil and mm. she healed her Crohn's disease. So like, while all these topics are hot and, and, and they're definitely worth exploring. And uh, I by no means like ruled them out as ways to continue to improve. I think where the market's at right now, it's still about like educating people on what this is, why it works, why all like what to shop for to cut through all the hype and, you know, how to start and, and how to cut through also like, oh, is this marijuana? Is this going to get me high? Like some of that, like we're still early in this market and in educating all the people that could benefit from it. I mean, CBD is great for regulating blood sugar, supporting a pancreas if someone's got diabetes, helping regulate weight. And out of the you know, 70 million diabetics or pre-diabetics in this country, I don't even think we've got 2 million of them actually taking CBD regularly yet, right? So there's just this massive amount of basic level education that I'm I'm really primarily focused on, you know, uh, just to speak to that point even a little more, I'm always looking at products, right? CBD products. So I'm in the grocery store yesterday and it's like CBD soap bar, right? This whole bar. So first off, I'm buying the Ayurvedic soap that costs $1.20 and, and next to it is 1199 soap bar with 30 milligrams of CBD in the entire soap bar that won't do anything at all. Right. And, and the only reason anyone would buy that is because they simply don't know. And they just see the CBD label and that company is laughing all the way to the bank because 30 milligrams of CBD doesn't cost them much. And there's 1199 soap markup. Right. But meanwhile, they're tarnishing the name of CBD because someone's going to grab that, go like, ah, I didn't feel anything. And right. it's like, yeah. Well, in our topical bomb, we have a thousand milligrams of CBD, 500 per ounce. This is smaller than the soap bar that I saw on the, on the shelf. Right. So and, and, and people are just getting ripped off. I saw another thing in the grocery store. I'm there talking smack with my wife, right? And it's a, a roll-on. It's got 200 milligrams of CBD in the entire roll-on. And it's priced at like $20, right? So I'm like, okay, great. So that's $100 for 1,000 milligrams of CBD. Meanwhile, for $55 on our site, you can get 1,000 milligrams of CBD in a tincture for half the price. So, and with that little CBD in there, probably not going to feel the effect. 
that people want. So there's a lot of like just basic level, like what to look for, what to shop for, what prices make sense, what, what should be in the product, what should not be in the product. Like that's what I'm really focused on. And then of course, we're going to be always looking at nutraceutical additives, like, oh, should we add turmeric to this? Should we add this to that? You know, should we go nano in our, in our absorption medium? Is there a a tangible benefit to that, you know, that's worth the additional cost to our clients? And, you know, we're always going to explore that stuff, but right now we're really focused on, again, like getting people the base info they need to know, like what's the ECS and how does it engage with CBD and those kinds of things? Because everything else is just getting a little bit, I think more advanced than the market even needs right now. Wow. Well, I loved how you were telling me in another conversation we had about the studies with brushing your teeth with CBD versus like, say a regular toothpaste, which is to me, you know, poison anyway, because it's got all this junk in it and fluoride, the whole other conversation, but just a toothpaste that's been known to be just that a toothpaste that cleans your teeth and does its thing. And the benefits of what CBD does to get rid of plaque. You want to just share that? Yeah. So it's very early, but this is something coming out of my suppliers and my, uh, my manufacturers who are always, they're always on the leading edge of, of diving into the next level of science. They, they are showing in recent studies that CBD and other cannabinoids were 50 times more potent at killing the bacteria that causes plaque than Crest toothpaste or your general run of the mills toothpaste, 50 times more effective <laughs> at actually killing the stuff that makes our teeth sticky and smell bad. So, yeah. So I expect to see, you know, CBD toothpaste coming out and if it's done right, it'll be way better than your existing toothpaste. Well, what about just brushing your teeth for those with, you know, that want to go this route, brushing your teeth with CBD oil? So the only thing is that if it's full spectrum, like our products are, and they have a tinge of a, of a brownish hue to them, you might end up with a little bit of, of discoloration because of that. But it's kind of like oil pulling, right? If you've heard of that before, you yeah. take some coconut oil, swish it around your mouth for 15 minutes, and you're going to pull out all these toxins from your teeth. Uh, well, our, our tincture comes in MCT oil, right? Coconut oil, refined. So it's kind of like oil pulling. If you, if you think about it, you could just drop a dropper in there and swish around. Not only are you going to absorb all your CBD and swallow it down, um, but you're also going to be pulling toxins and killing bacteria in your mouth. So, you know, there might be a little bit of uh, that. That would be my only hesitation is that if the oil has a little bit of a brown tinge to it, which ours does, it, it might also leave a little bit of a brown tinge on your teeth. I'm not hundred percent sure yet. Wow. You know, um, it's, I'm thinking of just us sharing a, a, a spiritual teacher uh, from from our sort of our history here and thinking about when I was in India, you know, the first time I went to India many years, many, 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 many years ago. And uh, I we had during Shivratri Bong and it was one of the most eye opening, I guess I would call it an entheogen. Is that right? Entheogen? Yeah. Entheogens is like psilocybin, ayahuasca, uh, you know, iboga, mescaline, peyote. Those are all entheogens. And I don't know if I would call, I think I would call cannabis consumed orally as an, an, an entheogen. I don't think I would call, if you smoke it, I don't think I would call it an entheogen because it's not going to like have you have a trip necessarily. Yeah. It is psychoactive. 
But when you eat it or consume it orally, it gets processed by your liver and it's actually five times more potent and it releases different chemicals in your body. Um, so it's, it's a different experience when you eat it and bong is something, you know, for people who don't know, it's like a, it's like a Indian cannabis milk drink, right? It's like a frothy green woodsy rootsy cannabisy mystery drink that only the very few adept alchemists knew how to make the real deal. Cause there's a little, mm. lot of sort of charlatanism out there that say they know how to make the real bong and they don't. Right. And I would, I would probably classify that as an entheogen because it's probably got other components in it too, beyond cannabis and yeah. you're taking it orally. Yeah. I mean, I had a very, it was very intense. You know, I, I don't do well with THC, so it's not a part of my world. But, um, but when I was doing it way back then, and I didn't even know what it was, I remember our teacher saying, the new people have only half a cup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I went for the full, full cup. And I remember I was standing in the kitchen in the, in the ashram there, and um, I got bit by a snake. But it wasn't a physical snake. It was an astral snake. Hmm. And it was, I mean, it was as real as day. And then thus the journey began and all, everything was alive. The, the land was alive. There were etchings like brass rubbings of, of Davies in the ground there of the ashram. I remember my spiritual teacher, I couldn't walk to him because his energy was so potent. And he asked me how far back his energy went. And I kept walking up the mountain to the temple, yelling at him, from, you know, 50 yards away. <laughs> and I remember going into my um, bungalow and we were meditating and I was seeing on other people's faces. They were all, we were all sitting on our bed, the changing faces on my friends' faces and I'm going, what the heck is that? And I, of course, asked our teacher later, and he said, yeah, that was your past life incarnations. Also, a, a nice tree person came up, started to walk in the room. And I'm just <laughs> like, okay, this is happening. Like, this is a, a tree just walked into the room. A fairy just flew into the room. You know, who cares if it was real or not? To me, it was real. It was my direct experience. And even if it was real, who cares? It was just a very expansive experience. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't had since, but uh, it, it, it just makes me, it kind of brings me into the spiritual, the long history of the spiritual um, use of cannabis in history, all the way back to Shiva. Yeah, spiritual and medicinal. It's documented as an, as being used for medicine for over four thousand years on record, really? and I'm sure longer than that off record, right? As as and as also, there's tons of Shiva disciples, yogis that are are known to use cannabis, and even as um, our spiritual teacher has said, it's like you take a little bit and then you go into your meditation, and it's an augmenter, it's a support, it's not it's not even the thing that gives you, it just, it can help take you deeper, right? And in the texts in India, cannabis is listed as one of the most medicinal herbs, one of the top medicinal herbs in the planet. And so that's why it's still hilarious to, that it's a, a schedule one uh, drug, which means by definition, it has no known medicinal benefit. 
That's what schedule one means by definition. No known medicinal benefit. Like and meanwhile, in just the that? is that the that, FDA? That's the federal government, the DEA. Um, I'm not deep, deep into the legal side, so I don't know what other organizations run those classifications, but that's it's still scheduled as schedule one. Um, while you know, for people listening, the value of CBD two though is that it's federally legal. Uh, as long as it's derived from hemp plants, which ours are, and, and any, you know, reputable company would be. And, you know, so it's legal in all 50 states and it's really starting to, uh, you know, to do what big pharma is, is trying to stop it from doing. <laughs> you know, they want to patent it. They want to own it. They want to sell it and profit from it way more than the CBD companies possibly could um, by having their unique chemical version of it. Um, it's It's why this industry still to this day deals with so much over-regulation and, you know, I can't make a benefit claim on my website, right? Like I can't, even if I have 50 people, which I have come to me and say, wow, I put on that bomb and it takes that pain away. Like, man, thank you. I can't say put this bomb on and take your pain away, or I could right. lose my payment processing. I could be sued by, you know, multiple different organizations. Right. Um, it's, it's incredibly regulated. Um, you know, and then meanwhile, big pharma can make claims and in their commercials, followed by the dude whispering all the ways in which you can die <laughs> at the end of the commercial. Right. <laughs> meanwhile, there's not a negative, there's not a single known negative side effect of CBD. Um, and the only one that was sort of being questioned and, and discussed was like, well, we think it might do bad things to the liver. And meanwhile, I, you know, I healed my dad's liver cancer by giving him massive doses of CBD and, and THC. So I'm like, no, no, it's definitely not bad for the liver. <laughs> no, so. I mean, if I have to argue that I would say what I wonder, well, everything we put in our mouth has to be processed down processed by the liver. Of course. But you know, is it the oil that maybe for some people can't handle the oil? And so it gets backed up into the gallbladder and the gallbladder can't, you know, get definitely back. potential. I know some people are much more sensitive to concentrated oils like MCT oil or even olive oil. Like some people just don't do well with high fatty substances. Yeah. Uh, so I could believe that for some people sensitive to oil, that it could, it could not be, you know, you might want to find a different absorption medium or use like our topical bomb, which doesn't involve taking oil into the body. Right. Um, that's totally possible. But as far as like a, a blanket statement, negative side effect of CBD, there is none that I'm aware of. I got a kind of stupid question, but can you take CBD as a powder? Yeah, there are powdered forms. Okay. Uh-huh. Absolutely. We don't personally sell any yet because I'm, again, I'm kind of like a purist. I like want to keep things in as close to the form of, 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 of how they're built naturally and, and distill them with as little processing as possible. But there are powdered forms, you know, that gets towards like, like a lot of the nano stuff is comes in a powder. So yeah, those exist. You know, I think of like my, one of my chiropractors who, um, and acupuncturists who, who would mention to me about the regulation of Chinese herbs and right. how certain things became illegal to use. And the only reason they became illegal was because the big pharma big guys would come in and they'd make it like a heart medicine. And then they call it like trio 
benzizepam or whatever, you know, right. but it actually came from like orange peel or, you know, and totally. so you can't use that. It's been come, become illegal only because they now have a patent on it as a synthetic. And Absolutely. I just thought, well, how good is, if they're going to make CBD synthetic, I'm sure there's still probably potent value to it. You know, there's a, there's an, uh, um, it's effective, but like you said, being a purist, don't we want it, it to be closest to its most original form? 100%. Every chemical has a cost, period. Right, right. And when you take something, you make it chemical, your body does not know how to process it. So for example, uh, the bark of the willow tree, Native Americans used to chew on it to relieve a headache, mm-hmm. right? Big Pharma comes, takes the bark of the willow tree, synthesizes it into aspirin. Well, guess what? Aspirin hurts your liver, hurts your stomach. It's proven to have all kinds of of negative side effects in the body. It'll also relieve your headache, but at a cost. And that's that's the relationship between plants as they were naturally put here by the divine intelligence that created this creation versus things that humans took to play God and created. Now, I'm not going to make a blanket negative statement against every chemical that's ever been created. I mean, during this, uh, this is even a controversial statement, but like ivermectin, for example, was really useful for a lot of people in these last few years. Right. And that's something we created. It just happens to be one of the ones that are more stable, more safe, more well-known, more researched. Right. But they're always coming out with, I mean, every day you see a new commercial where it's like, ask your doctor about Jabalaba quill. <laughs> and, and then they tell at the end of the commercial that you might die. You might have your, your stomach might fall out your rear end. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like, oh my God, is my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis that worth it? <laughs> you might seizure regularly. You might, your, your skin will look great. You might lose your color vision, you know, like, I mean, it's, <laughs> It's unbelievable uh, how that industry works. And I I truly believe that while there are a lot of well-intentioned people in the industry, I think the industry as a whole is a net toxic, right? And we can't, we can't say that, uh, okay, well, you know, you ever had an infection and used an antibiotic and, and gotten rid of it. And now you're here to live because of that. It's like, yeah. And the overusage of antibiotics is creating super bacteria that are resistant to everything we know. And they will always win that race. So, but there are natural um, anti-inflammatory antibiotics. And, you know, like, again, I'm not like the, the everything plant medicine specialist, but I have studied and done like weekend workshops with these people. And it's, you know, if you have an actual medicine worker, most things can be handled naturally. You know, it's, it's really about the concentration and the dose. Like most people think, oh, I took my, my little tea bag that says smooth move. It's supposed to relax my constipation. Right. Um, Generally, though, the actual dosage of those herbs that would create that result for you is like 10x what's in that tea bag, right? Yeah. It's like handfuls of this stuff versus like, oh, I got a little tea bag and I didn't get the result, you know? So, I mean, kind of bringing it back to CBD, that's why we have a thousand milligrams of CBD in our topical bomb. All the time I hear, literally, I've heard it dozens of times, dude, I've tried two or three different bombs and didn't do anything for me. I put yours on and the pain went right away. And I'm like, yeah, those other bombs, if you pick them up, you look at them, they have 100, 125, 200, maybe 225 milligrams per ounce. Ours has 500. It's because we know what it actually takes to create the result. And it's typically 
with natural medicines, it's a larger dose than most people think. Mm, good for people with migraines. I know probably, huh, I know too many friends that have, get regular migraines multiple times uh, a month and they're on the, whatever that drug is, that's, you know, the drug of choice right now, that's out to cure them of migraines, but they have all these other issues. They now have digestive issues. They get pains in their spleen. They get uh, what another girl says she has some neurological stuff that's coming up. Now I can't say it's because of that, but I can say she didn't have it before she started taking that. And <laughs> right. And it's probably a list of side effect. Yeah. And, and a big thing that we do. So with, with feel good hemp, our, our hemp company, we also created something we call feel good library. And it's because my wife's a yoga teacher, sound healer. And I'm this like, constant personal development seeker, researcher, tester and developer and coach. And so we put this feel good library together, which is just all these different tools to address the whole being. And that's a big part of what we're focused on is, you know, for example, if you have a migraine it could be nutritional, it could be emotional, it could be a trauma that's repressed in your nervous system and right. held in your cellular memory. It could be a belief system that you're holding in your subconscious mind that literally hurts you on a, on a deep level. And all these, all the, I believe that all the pains we experience in our three-dimensional experience, it is to not only it's to drive us deeper into our self-realization, into our spiritual realization. It's to it's to help us understand ourselves as multidimensional beings better, right? Because there's nothing that Jesus couldn't heal for himself, right? right? And so energetic, like we're first, a, an, we're first a cosmic body, then we're an astral body, then we're a physical body, right? The congealed physical body is a shell of what we really are. And so the reason we put together the Feel Good Library is we have tools in there for people to, for example, take emotional trauma out of their body or understand their core wounds and how to navigate them or uh, understand how to effectively reprogram the subconscious mind so that it's working in harmony towards what you consciously desire in your life. Mm. All these different layers, you know, our goal as a company is to have the healthiest people buying CBD period, right? Like I don't want you to continue to have your physical aches and pains your emotional aches and pains and the, and the manifestation of them in some sort of physical way. I want you to take CBD because like you said, with the soil not being where it should be with these prohibition and these things not being in our food supply, the way they used to be, um, our body is starved for cannabinoids. So I want people to take CBD for the same reason they take vitamin D or vitamin E or what other, other supplements, because it's like giving your body something foundational that will help it work optimally in the long run. Yeah. You know, yeah and and the, the pain or the hurt or the depression or the anxiety, we want you to actually like solve that if possible. Right. Not saying that every single person is able to completely relieve what's ailing them, but a lot of people could, uh, especially, you know, looking at these other layers of our being and what true healing looks like. Yeah. I, I love that you're mentioning this and that is such a great service. You know, it's, that's fantastic. That's, that's really, to me, just true light work. Thank you. Um, and, um, you know, it just makes me think spiritually. It's like there's never been a pain that anyone's experienced where there hasn't been a great teacher, where it hasn't taught you something, where it hasn't made you aware of something, where it hasn't opened the door to some potentially new awareness or a, a new perceptual lens to look at that thing that is Definitely. running you. But also the flip side of that is, spiritually speaking, 
pain, um, dis-ease can be a big sort of boulder or roadblock in the way of our awakening because it's a distraction. It's mm-hmm. there. And um, the less we have to deal with these sort of uh, the suffering of in our bodies, the, the more we could get on with it and, and get in communion with that one great primordial energy or force we might call God. Absolutely. I, I think I'm paraphrasing, but Paramahansa Yogananda said, at best, this body is like a bag of troubles or something. <laughs> like, I'm totally paraphrasing. But he said, at best, this body is just a bag of trouble, right? Because we're all going to age. We're all going to break down on some level at some way, at some point. Uh, everything that's strong eventually becomes weak. Everything that's functioning in total harmony eventually you know, becomes 90% or 80% of what it once was, you know, my grandma, she's 95 years old, bless her heart. And she takes this oil two or three times a day. And with it, she has a quality of life. And without it, she has full body arthritic pain. Mm. Right. So, so am I to say that my grandma who's 95 years old, like needs to just spiritually heal some sort of emotional something. And then she would totally get rid of arthritic pain. Like, it's possible, but I'm leaning more towards she's 95 years old. She's lived a long and and human life, and her body could just use a little bit of support to not be in constant pain, right? Yeah. So it's definitely like both perspectives, for right? Sure, for sure. You know, it makes me think of the quote from Yogi Raj Buranath, who we both know well. And he says, you are not, and I, again, I'm paraphrasing, but I say, you're not this body that sleeps, decays, and dies, you are immortal. You are Lord of the earth and skies. He might say, Diane, that's not what I said. I didn't say it exactly like that. I said, <laughs> You're not this house of flesh and bone, which sleeps, decays, and dies. You are immortal consciousness, Lord of the earth and skies. Thank you. See? There we yeah. go. You pretty much nailed it, though. I left out consciousness. But yes, we are immortal consciousness, Lord of the earth, Lords of the earth and skies. And... Uh, to your point, Noah, to your point, what is your spiritual practice? So I am practicing Kundalini Kriya Yoga as taught by Yogi Raj Gurnath Siddhanath. Um, and similar to what was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda and that whole lineage of the Self-Realization Fellowship. And I've been doing it now every day for almost 11 years. It'll be 11 years this July. So we're coming up on 11 years everyday practice. And what I'd say just to speak from a spiritual perspective is it's a path and there are a lot of paths Yeah. and whatever path you can actually commit to where you're doing it every day, that's your path. Cause I think that that's really what makes the difference for people. You know, I've been on this path and, and it's resonated with me. And so it's, it's, it's a fit for my temperament. Whereas some, so many other people I know who have been like, you got to come check this out. This is so cool. You know, meet my master, learn these techniques. They learn the techniques and they practice them a couple of times and then they never practice them again. And I've seen that for so many people and it'd be easy to judge and be like, oh, your dedication's not there or your commitment's not there. And I think it really has to do with finding a path that resonates with your temperament and that you can commit to because you can find God in basket weaving, right? <laughs> you can find 
God is everywhere and everything, right? You can find God in the forest floor, right? Like there, there are, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the tracker, but there is a tracker. He's famous for being such a good tracker that he could tell from people's prints. Like he could look at a print and go, this person has liver cancer and be correct. Mm. And, and he, he could track the forest floor that accurately where he could know like the weight of an animal, the age of an animal, mm. like th- literally the diseases that a person who made that print was carrying like wow. that level of awareness. That's a high level of awareness, right? And someone can sit on a yogic asana and meditate Kriya Yoga for 50 years to reach that awareness, or they could stare at the forest floor and connect to something ethereal, something supernatural beyond the three dimensions for sure to get these kinds of awarenesses. And it's sort of like at the end of the day, if we look at Patanjali's, you know, eight, eightfold path of yoga, right. And, and it's, well, what is it? It's, it's right living followed by breath control followed by concentration which leads to meditation which leads to samadhi right and and in there somewhere is pratyahara and the internalization of the senses well guess what's happening when you focus on the forest floor you're first off probably living right it's probably eating right it's probably doing well by others he's living in this natural life right he's concentrating his consciousness actively right he's interiorizing his senses because he's picking up on something supernatural something beyond just what he's seeing with his eyes or feeling with his hands so there's pratyahara there right eventually that level of concentration and internalization will lead to meditation where he's just suddenly like one with the forest floor and able to realize like the story beyond the story beyond the story Mm -hmm. right and 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 who knows what that state of consciousness or awareness looks like so i just I got inspired by that because it's like, you could go hiking, you could become, you know, you could become a samurai, you could work, you could work the sword to the point where it leads you to samadhi. Now, are some paths more likely to lead you there than others? Like, absolutely. Right. But at the end of the day, you have to go with the one that that matches your temperament. Because if you take someone who wants to work the sword every day and has this karmic and dharmic you know, livingness inside them to do that. And you tell them, no, 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 don't work the sword every day. Like come sit on this yogic asana and meditate. Like that person's going to explode. Right. So there's, I truly believe that, that there is no, like there is no linearity to time. Like all of creation is happening all in one moment. And so I truly believe that like, as, as far fetched as this might sound to some people, I don't believe in human will. Like, I don't believe in free will. I, I, I think agree. that, I yeah. Free choice. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know if that's a thing. Like, like I, the more I think about it, it's like, okay, so we take into this idea of free choice. Okay. Well, there's the conscious things happening. Like the decision, the reason I'm making my decision. Then there's all the subconscious things happening. A lot of which was programmed into us by our parents, our lineage, our teachers, our experiences, right? Then there's uh, epigenetics and that whole study of like how things are passed down from generation to generation. Then there's karma and that uh, whole uh, concept of, you know, Newton's third law, every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Then then there's, um, you know, how your karma affects your cellular 
development and how your DNA and your cells and your cellular intelligence impacts your actions. And it's like, when you take all that into account, unless you are 100% aware of present to and capable of processing all of those things to their fullest extent in real time, how could you say that any choice is truly conscious and free with all those forces at play and, and forces that I haven't even named that I'm maybe not even aware of. Right. And it's like, so, so to me, I think of like my T one of my teachers, John Roger, and I probably talked about this in other episodes, but it's a very simplistic example. And to your point, he says, you know, if you have free will, all right, prove it to me, go stand on the roof of your house and show me how to fly. Just go ahead, fly. You, you hmm. will, will yourself to fly. And that person will say, well, I can't fly. He goes, exactly. So you don't have free will, hmm. but you do have free choice. You can choose to the best of your ability right? with all those things that play, like you mentioned, you yeah. can choose to the best of your ability, but you don't really have free will. Hmm. There's the will of yeah. I the, the example I use, I don't know why I go to it, but I think it's interesting to think about. It's like, we say, I do have free choice. I choose. And it's like, okay, great. Well, you know, I t- take this knife in my hand. It's like, I could choose to end my life if I wanted to, right? And it's like, sure, people do that all the time. You could choose that. But based on all those factors, I'm either already the person who's going to do that or not going to do that. And it has nothing to do with my choice in that moment. In my, this is just my opinion, my experience, my, what I'm resonating with. It's, 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 this, it's this paradox of, because I'm, I'm an engineer by training, right? Like I went to school, I grew up wanting to build robots, mm. right? I grew up taking apart every electronic thing, building computers. When I was really little, I would take my toys and they'd be like a little laser gun. And instead of being into the little laser gun, I'd rip it apart to like see the computer chips and like the wires, right? And so like, I, for the longest time, was like, I want to go be an engineer and I want to build robots, right? And then when I got to the fifth level of physics in college, which was quantum physics, it's sort of like, it was where science and spirituality merge. It's where, you know, all the things that we know and can put formulas to and control in the three-dimensional plane, it all breaks down in the quantum field. And none of those formulas hold weight in the quantum field. And the quantum field, subatomic particles, is closer to reality than the atomic, right? Right. And so then it just like activated my spiritual awareness on some level where I was like, holy crap, there's so much I don't know. And there's so much that I don't know about what I don't know. And like, I realized in retrospect, the, the robot that I was so interested in understanding how to make work was, was me. Right. And, and that's why I've been on this spiritual path for all these years and, and diving deep into the self. And the more I dive deep, I think that there's this paradox of I have absolutely no control And that is where I find the greatest control. Like in in my knowingness that I have no control, I am imperturbable in my experience of life, Mm. right? Like Jesus walking to his crucifixion. Do you think Jesus didn't know what was happening? Do you think he couldn't have like an intuitive insight as to like, oh, this dude's betraying me. And like, they're going to put my body on a cross and massacre this thing. Like he knew what was happening. So, and, and could a man with Jesus's, you know, awareness and, and power, could he not free choice something else? It's like, of course he could have, but there was a specific experience meant to happen in the divine plan. It was already, it already had happened. 
before it happened in linear time. Right. And, and he's a willing participant of it for this same reason. I can, you know, assume it's like, he knows that the plan is perfect. And so if the plan is perfect, what choice need be made? Right. Like it's, it's this paradox. It makes me think of what you're really kind of like the overriding thought here is you're kind of describing an aspect of passive karma, active karma, passive karma, active karma. You can change passive karma. It's like, no, it's predestined. And Mm. it's like, you can't change the parents you came in with. You can't change certain things that are kind of already etched in this sort of divine cosmic stone of your life. And also it kind of brings forward the laws of spirit here. One being perhaps the foremost, most important law of spirit being cooperation. So it's like Jesus, mm-hmm. as an example, it's like, no, you, you guys are going to betray me and, and it's okay, but I'm keeping my eye on the light. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I'm keeping my eye on this completion that has to be completed. That is predestined. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm, that's my curriculum. I'm the carrier of that. And so it's my job in service to humanity in service to this completion. I must cooperate with it. And so yeah there's that passive karma where if someone god forbid is going to take themselves out maybe there is a level beyond our understanding that their soul is going to have this experience there is an agreement here again beyond our understanding not to condone it but just beyond our understanding that this this needs to take place on this person's soul level on this person's uh you know, wherever they're at in their journey, they have to have the experience of losing their own life to recognize their own magnificence. I, I may have told this story before, I may have not, but I, I think of in my, um, when I was younger, I had a miscarriage and it was very, very painful. And, um, you know, physically, but of course, emotionally is where I'm going. Yeah. And um, I really wanted this baby. And I couldn't, we were deciding whether to call her Gracie or Avalon. And I had this dream right before I miscarried. And she said, you know, mommy, call me Grace. I can't stay. I have to go back. I'm going to be a much better use up there than down here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went and I, I, you know, went to the toilet and lost the baby. And mm-hmm. uh, I was over three months pregnant. And I remember it being like, <laughs> this might be a little you know, too much to share on a podcast, but so be it. I remember reaching down and in the toilet, grabbing like this tissue that I considered the heart. And I don't know why I intuitively felt like it was the heart, but it was, there was no hesitation. I just reached down to grab it. It reminded me of that scene with Juliette Binoche in the movie, Christoph Kozlowski's Blue. If you ever saw that triage, Mm. uh, red, white, and blue, incredible sequence of um, beautiful, beautiful films. Um, older films and she lost her family in this car accident and she comes home after being in the hospital from this car wreck and her family's her husband's killed her son is killed and she finds this lollipop that is been half licked by her dead son and you know when he was alive and um she takes the wrapper off and just starts just going at it like ferociously because it's her last contact with that prana, that energy. Mm. And it kind of made me think of that experience with me. And I'm kind of sharing this because it pulls in with what you're talking about, where at the time I just 
wasn't really valuing my life. I can remember. It's not like I wanted to, you know, tap out, but I kind of had this underlying sense that, oh, you know, if my car goes off the road, nobody's going to really care. Mm. Or my life is valuable, but it's not that valuable. I mean, come on, there's mm. a lot of people on the planet. And I mean, there's a, such a thing we would call ordinariness, which I think is a great place to be in spiritually where we don't, just because we have spiritual experiences, we don't say we're, we know, we don't say that we're these great beings just because we have these supernatural experiences. There's an ordinariness to our daily existence that's magnificent. But in the context I'm talking about, there was not, there was a lack of appreciation of the miracle of my own creation, of my own incarnation. And I truly believe I had to lose a child, a pregnancy, to recognize the power of my own birth, to recognize the fact that over 50% of pregnancies uh, end up in miscarriage. Most of us don't even make it through to this planet on a great degree. It's a miracle we made it through that portal to here. So just in knowing that there is great purpose, we're yeah. here on purpose. It's like, congratulations, you made it through. Okay, now that you're here, what do you choose? So mm-hmm. that was kind of a tall glass of water, but back to what you were saying that there is a, a predestined, there are predestined events, I believe, just like that experience of my own. I believe that had to happen. There was an agreement there where I had to, she got to experience life in utero three months to have that sort of bodily experience, if you will, or whatever you would call it. And I had to have that experience of losing that so that I could recognize the absolute, you know, gift, the opportunity of having a body. Yeah. I mean, she came here for you. Right. That is great. Gift to you. Yeah. Grace. I I think what's valuable to acknowledge about this conversation is that life is a paradox of infinite meaning and infinite insignificance, right? It's like the story you just shared was so meaningful and like, I could feel the, the emotion to it and the human experience of it and how rich it was and how meaningful it was. And it's like, and when we zoom out, it's this, we're a speck of dust on a speck of dust floating among specks of dust in potentially a multiverse of specks of dust. And it's like infinitely meaningful and infinitely meaningless at the same yes. time. Yes. And I think that's what we're playing with here because we're trying to put words to something that really doesn't have words. And, and it's, it's not something that we want to explain in a way that robs the significance out of life. Cause it's like, we're here, like live it, like grab all of it and, and experience all of it. And, and when you're really present in the moment, like I have a, an eight month old right now. And sometimes I just look at her and she just looks at me and it's just like this perfect moment where I'm just like, Oh my God, are you amazing? Right. And we're just, it's nothing crazy going on. We're just, soul to soul seeing each other in this 
dualistic creation. And it's like, holy crap, I could never have that experience if I was in the ethers where it's obvious that we're all one. It wouldn't be me and her. There wouldn't be a subject and an object. It would just be this oneness bliss. And it's like, well, we already know that oneness bliss on a deep level. So we're here to have this experience and to, to just be in it and to be rich about it. And it's, it's something that I have to remind myself often going deep down this spiritual path and seeking the consciousness of the oneness. It's like, I got this download the other day. It's like, dude, your job is not to be superhuman. Like your job is to be super human, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? And so, so to feel the feels and to see the seas and, and, and to touch the touch and taste the taste and, and to be in the five senses, even though it's a, you know, delusional prison of the mind and the sense experience and yada, yada, like, yeah. And like the way out is through, like, mm -hmm. if you, if you taste something so fully, you can find God in that. Right. And, and taste is associated with the second chakra. So a lot of people go like into sex magic and, and I'm going to find God through my partner and Tantra and, and things like that. And that's all a path too. And it's just like, everything is a path and it all leads us to this awareness that is beyond words that is ineffable, ineffable. Right. So I, I appreciate these kinds of conversations because we can attempt to put words to these things, like the idea of free choice versus not. And, you know, even when we talk about time, right? Because karma is a construct of time. It's a it, karma involves a past and a future and a happening somewhere between those two things. And I'm like, well, even karma is a false construct when you get to the one consciousness, right? Which is the masters tell us that, right? They're like, when you, when you're fully enlightened, there is no karma, right? Like, well, why? Well, because you're in a oneness. How can a oneness have a two-ness? Mm -hmm. like you can't, right? So all these things that we're, we're talking about are, are sort of constructs, but, but how is, why would God create all these constructs? Well, because there's something beautiful and meaningful and rich within these constructs. And there's something beautiful and meaningful and rich within the dissolution of the constructs. In fact, maybe perhaps the richest thing, which is why, you know, self-realization is, uh, something I put time towards every day. Right. So yeah, I'm pretty much just rambling at this point, but it's all very fascinating. And oh, fun it's to talk about. Ramble, <laughs> and I think, you know, people get it. And I mean, really what, again, just to kind of wrap it up, it's like, what I'm hearing is you're really learning. You're touching on a point that we use everything from a spiritual perspective. If spiritual let me back that up. I would say if physical world reality exists for the sole purpose of our spiritual growth, mm -hmm. then our opportunity, our job is to not only cooperate, but to use everything that comes our way, whether it be a miscarriage, whether it be a depression, whether it be a broken leg, whether it be a divorce, whether it be any events, good, bad, or indifferent, but usually the stuff we don't like, the contrast, the negativity, and we use it, like literally that's the verb. We use it in service to our growth and upliftment. Mm -hmm. It's all here to use and in using it is the magic. Because when we don't use it, then we go, oh, life sucks. But then when you pull back the lens, you go, oh, oh, I set, that, I set it up that way. It's set up that way so that I get to use my superhuman powers so that I can feel the, the beauty of my humanness in the contrast. Yeah. One of my mentors, he says, he's either blissing out on spirit or he's in an initiation. 
<laughs> right? Because he has a he has a guru and, and he's been his guru is Paramahansa Yogananda, and he was a monk in ashram for 25 plus years. And he's been now doing Kriya every day since 1967. And with a guru, it's like kind of like there's a conscious force that's benevolently supporting your conscious evolution, right? So he says either, either I'm blissing out in spirit and I'm there, or I'm in an initiation, right? Mm. Which means I'm I'm being supported in getting back there. Right. Right. Every initiation supports you in, in getting back there in a more permanent fashion. It's like you're there and you're out and you're there and you're out and then you're there longer and then you're out and then you're there longer and then you're out. And the goal is to be there permanently. Right. And so every obstacle, every time you don't get what you want, every time you're frustrated, you're sad, you're depressed, you're lonely, you're in grief. Every time you're experiencing loss, every time you're experiencing pain, like every single one of those things is initiation if you take it as such. Right. And of course you can take some CBD and let the pain go away. And, and that can be an initiation in the sense that you're allowing yourself to receive support from the, the plants and the herbs and the things that have been put on this planet around you. It can be an act of, of receiving love. Right. right. And in the long run, if there's something that you're chronically dealing with, looking at it as a potential initiation and starting to pull apart the mental, emotional, spiritual, types of advancement that can come from it that's i think what we're talking about here potent stuff and i totally am with you on that you know that ride because to me life is one great series of initiations yeah every single event is it's, it's initiation when i'm in the biofield and i see all this stuff going on in the timeline of their lives which we may perceive first uh, when ex when we're experiencing it, or we might hold on to it as being something negative, as like a it's something that's tarnished our spirit. But mm -hmm. it's all there. That's it's all there and designed to create and develop and cultivate inner strength. Very different than power, mm -hmm. strength. And we need that strength, just like you know Arjuna and the Bhagavad Gita. So we we have the shield, the armor of, of the God, of our understanding of the divine forces. We need strength. So yeah, it, these every one of us is going to lose everything we care about in this lifetime. Right, right. And we try to pretend that that's not the case, but that is a fact. Either we're gone or the people, the places, the things, the concepts, the structures that we care about are gone first. Either way. I mean, my grandma, again, 95 years old, I think every friend she's ever had is past, you know, she outlived all of them and she makes new ones, you know, in the development she lives in and whatever else, but all her like long time homies, you know, they didn't make it as long as she has. And so what is that like to lose everyone you care about, you know, or most, mostly everyone you care about, right? It will sure. It takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage and conviction. And these are, some things that we might call aspects of God, right? God is, is infinite strength, infinite wisdom, infinite compassion. Circling all that back to you, I just acknowledge you, Noah, for literally accessing your divine strength to heal your dad because you could have gone sort of the hive mind route and gone with the group and said, yeah, it's his time and all right, let's just prepare ourselves. And you said, no. I'm going to participate in the highest good here and try it out. And you, I mean, you just, to me, you display this beautiful quality of commitment. You just were so 
freaking committed to your dad's wellness. And to me, that's a force of energy that can transmute and transmit and transform the outcome of things. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I did move and, and all these things, like I, I, I came to his aid and, and to also put a divine spin on it all is, you know, I was in a business transition at the time and I wasn't exactly sure what was next. And then as a result of this experience we had, you know, shortly after that, my wife was holding a sound bath and we offered CBD at our sound bath and everybody, you know, 70% of people paid extra to get CBD with their sound bath. And then the sound bath itself was so dropped in and so peaceful. And then at the end of it, we did two for one on the doses we had left and everyone bought at, bought us out in two seconds. And the next morning, my wife popped out of bed, couldn't sleep. And we're having matches on the porch. And she's like, I think we should start a CBD business. And I'm like, I agree. Right. And this was right when it was about to become legalized. Like, so it was kind of like, I just said, okay, I'm going to focus on what's in front of me. I'm going to do what I can with what I have. And, and I'm going to try to see if we can change this outcome. And then, you know, the higher plan or whatever you want to call it sort of said, okay. And now here's what you get out of it. Like not, not that I was seeking something out of it, but something was seeking me. Right. right. So feel good hemp was born out of this experience. And, you know, my mission since has been born out of this experience and, you know, and so it was this beautiful sort of, I never realized it until I told this story on a, you know, a million radio shows and podcasts, but it was kind of like, it was a father and son coming back from the bottom together, mm. where by me focusing on him and his, his rock bottom health experience, I was sort of in this business transition where I had made some pivots in my business and had to let go of a team of 10 people, had bankrupted my company basically with like changing up our offerings. I was doing this digital marketing company and I switched to this like, coaching program offering company and we just tanked and so we were both at rock bottom in our own ways and i just focused on helping him because it felt like the right thing to do and he helped me without even knowing it and you know we've been doing feel good hemp ever since so it's it's just cool to see how it all plays out mm, that's so divine i love that it's such a beautiful story and just such a powerful testament. So thanks for sharing that. And I should say, thank you, Noah, in your generosity for um, offering a link here for listeners so that they can get it at 25% off. So I'll just give you that link. It's uh, feelgoodhemp.org slash forward slash Diane, D-I-A-N-E. And I believe there's a coupon code, Diane25, that yep. uh, will get them 25% off any of your stuff. So just um, huge kudos to you for, for offering that. Yeah, hundred percent. And to anyone listening, you know, or any questions you have, we're happy to answer them and definitely make sure to use Diane 25. So you get 25% off your first purchase. Don't forget that. Gosh, thanks so much. And uh, we will continue the conversation. Perhaps next time you'll come back and we'll talk about, um, you know, the astral realms. <laughs> I'm game. I'm game. This was fun. We definitely opened up a portal and one places I didn't think we were going to go. So I love it. Oh, that's so great. Thanks, Noah. All right. Thank you, Diane. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.